And we are back with another edition of the Daily Dots. And I'm here with the Brain Trust. As always, Mr. Chase Taylor, our head of research. And, um, you know, just continuing. Interesting day. We'll go over that stuff with Chase here in a second. But just continuing this journey on a daily basis. Um, you know, if you're an econ finance nerd like we certainly are, I think that... Uh, you know, the old adage, may you live in interesting times. I think that certainly rings true. Um, and I think if nothing else, what's driving us right now doing the Daily Dots is just, again, wanting to document this and, and memorialize it, if you will, and, and just take this take this journey together and see where it leads, because um, it is certainly fascinating, fascinating time. So markets in general, uh, S&P down about 0.6, NASDAQ down like 0.3. Um, also down uh, about 0.6 actually. What was? It was also down about 0.6. Dow was down about 0.3. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I gotta be honest with you. We discussed this a little bit yesterday, Chase. Um, the, the movements and the volatility you're seeing in interest rate, I, the, this market continues to make less and less sense to me on a daily basis. I mean, we can kind of try to piece of narrative together around the price action, but then I just feel like I'm being like CNBC. Um, this looks like a market that is completely confused in 18 different ways at the same time. And the only thing every, the only thing anybody's sure of is that buying is the right decision. Uh, I mean, not here in the short run, obviously we've had some negative days here to start the year, but yeah, we're still negative on the year on across the indices. Um, and, and that, that includes last week's crazy pills week of just deciding we're going to cut, you know, like once a day for the rest of the year. Uh, that has like just whooshed out of the market so far this week with Waller's speech yesterday and then today's hot data. Yeah. Now go through today's data because, again, you and I have been talking about this for about two to three months that we were saying based on the loosening of financial conditions – uh, to see a data bounce in the first quarter, it seems like that's exactly what we're seeing. Right. I would pay money to hear what the Fed is saying. I think they're probably beside themselves. And uh, it's just so predictable. Like you sit there and go, hey, guys, yeah. like, how many times do you have to see this play out? And not only that, is it they're like on purpose sort of like ignoring it. We During Waller's speech yesterday, he said that, Financial conditions were basically still tight, and that they were basically where they were last uh, last July, and everyone agreed they were tight. That was just not true. No one agreed they were tight. There, you can find articles about how they were too loose. Um, so for him to say that was absurd, and then he was talking about how growth slowing. I mean, today on the back of really hot retail sales, uh, fourth quarter GDP got upgraded to two point four percent. The Fed considers trend growth to be one point seven, so we're still well above trend growth. Um, but I'll, I'll rip through the data real quick. We had mortgage applications, which beat estimates and were the best, uh, since the second quarter of 2023. Uh, obviously if rates keep moving higher, that's going to pour cold water on it. But for now, Hey, now hold on. I think the one thing that you need to add in there is when you hear mortgage applications, that is not a proxy for retail sales as far as houses go or, 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 or home sales. Um, the majority of that number, I was reading an article about it and it caught me off guard. And then I read down through it and the majority of those applications are refis. Which, I mean, even if that's the case that, you know, says a lot about the economy though. Right. Right. Um, 
Uh, New York Fed had their services business activity index came out. Um, it was up a decent amount from last month. I wouldn't call it good, but it was it was up month over month. Uh, retail sales was just blockbuster. Um, the important one, the control group, was supposed to be 0.2 month over month gain, and it was 0.8. So just obliterated, <laughs> obliterated the expectations there. Import prices were supposed to be down a half percent, and they were flat. So the import deflation side is kind of vanishing, which means goods disinflation's very likely going away, and that's really underpinned inflation moving lower of late. Industrial production was supposed to fall a tiny bit. Instead, it went up a tiny bit. Um, and then we got home building, home builder sentiment, which was supposed to go from 37 to 39, and instead it went to 44. That's the second month in a row that it blew out expectations. Every single component of that um, was either flat or went up. So, And then we also had the beige book, uh, which is the anecdotal Fed data where just all 12 um, sectors, uh, like the regions write in to say how everything's going in their, um, in their region. And we read a bunch of the highlights of that last month because it was pretty ugly. This month was, was better, but in, in a lot of ways, m- most of the country was saying like, we didn't really change that much. If you were saying like, Hey, some stuff's better. There was some stuff that was, you know, not great. Um, but much less bad, I would call it than, than last month's print. So essentially across the board data was really hot. And we saw that hit um, the bond market with the two-year getting hit for another twelve basis points. So it's gotten whacked this week. I, you know, <clears throat> and at one point today, sorry, uh, at one point today that the March hike was all the way down to fifty-fifty, and we started the week at like eighty-something percent chance or a cut. Sorry, I always say hike because I'm so used to hikes lately. Yeah, I. It's fascinating to me what happened between Friday and today. You know the mar. It just and it, and this is to me. It was all super uh, um, like it. It was all stuff that everyone should have saw coming. Like, of course, the Fed was going to push back with Waller to me anyway. And then, obviously, we've been talking about it for weeks now. Like, of course, the data is going to be strong. Like, you gave everyone seven trillion bucks. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and you pushed everything back to the conditions. Uh, the you 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 basically recreated. Uh, late 2021 conditions, both in asset prices and financial conditions, everything except interest rates. And so, of course, the spending picks up. And I think this will be an impossible one to gauge. So in that sense, it's worthless. I'm still going to throw it out there. <laughs> uh, I think that that kind of human nature side of the of the deal there, you know, um, you know, talking about how you recreate the same, you know, the the, the same basic environment that you that you had at the end of 2021, uh, with asset prices and exuberance and bullish market outlooks and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, I think because of what you've been through in the last three and a half, four years, meaning the extraordinary drops, the extraordinary monetary policy, I, I think that you're going to have to press on investors and consumers alike harder than you have in the past because I think that they have been uniquely trained to see the opportunity just purely being something is down, right? Just because they've seen that work so many times. Right. There's nothing to fear but fear itself in the markets. Right, right, right. And and it amazes me 
how the Fed continues to just completely swing and miss on, on that side of things. 100%. Without realizing that, listen, guys, if you create conditions where asset prices go higher, you are going to ramp consumer spending again, and you're going to put pressure on all the same things that you don't want pressure on. You, you just can't get it both ways. And, and Waller just completely underscored that, that he was just completely tone deaf to it yesterday. Um, and Lori Logan in her last speech made it clear like, yeah, we have this financial conditions index because the Fed has their own um, that's kind of showing that it's a headwind, right? And she's like, my staff kind of made one that we think makes more sense and it's showing it as a tailwind. Like, of course it's a tailwind. Uh, you're running $2.1 like, trillion dollar deficits. Just yeah, like, stop. What, what are we we'll talking stop. about? The asset prices went straight up for three months. Like, you, you don't, you think maybe people might spend a few more few few more dollars like in right. the first quarter? Like, come on. Right. You're running. Just two, use some common sense. You're running $2.1 trillion deficits and you guys did a bank bailout provision that was $350 billion in size earlier in the year. H- how is it possible for financial conditions not to be looser? Right. I, I, I mean, just – and this is the point you get where you're looking at these guys going, listen, it's not the brain power that I question. I, 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 I think that no, – Not are, at all. All undoubtedly far above average. And I bet you your average IQ is considerably higher than mine. Well, I won't say considerably, but higher, right? Meaningfully higher. Okay. Uh, How do you not under – how is it that you think something like economics is so linear and mathematical? That's – the fact that they don't pay any homage to – another thing I was thinking about. You, do you remember a conversation that we, we had about a year ago where I lost it? I, I flipped out on the show and I was just going off on the Fed, just saying they're going to screw around. And if you want the pain, you need to start talking tough to markets because I think they're going to do everything they can to make the road as smooth as possible for a Biden reelection, especially if he's opposing Trump. Um, and I was saying – by not talking tough now, you're really bringing in the possibility that you're going to have to do it at a time that's smack dab in the middle of a presidential election. Because remember, we were all, I, we, you and I were saying that's when we had that conversation with Stephen Mirren about, hey, you don't need to jet. This is a this is a liquidity driven bubble. Okay, so drain the liquidity. You needed to come off the zero bound on rates, but you had to do that eventually anyway. But, you know, you and I were having a conversation with Steve. Well, you and I had it first and then we brought Steve on. But we were saying, you know, a year ago, you're going to screw around with this and you're going to try to feather it in perfectly. And what's going to end up happening is you're going to go, you're going to push this so far to where you're paint, you painted yourself into a corner and now you got to pick. You got a gun to one side of both. You got a gun to each side of your head, right? Listen, are you going to let inflation run hotter or are you going to accept a recession? Right. And, and to me, like it, it, it's kind of amazing to watch this play out in slow motion because we, we got to see where it ends up. But you're watching the trajectory of this and it looks like that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. I mean, they did paint themselves in the corner and, and one option is to let the paint dry, aka let rates just stay for a long time the way they kind of talked about, but they clearly don't want to. Um, because they know what that's going to, they know what that'll do to banks. And at the end of the day, banks are kind of their top constituent. Um, but you're right. Like it, it's been, you're talking about the slow motion, like watching it. it. What we've really watched is them convince themselves that they, they get out of this thing alive, that, that you can get both. You can get the inflation all the way back to target. Um, and you can keep growth and, and not lose jobs. 
And I think, I just think that was, that's from the get go been a delusion. Um, I've made fun of all these analog charts people put about, you know, this big massive second wave inflation. And I don't think we're going to get a, a, a big wave of inflation again, but I do think inflation is going to pick up like, because you're going to, you know, you let the economy make a, too much of a comeback here with financial conditions. Um, and the funny thing is the ECB, some the people at the ECB are somehow clearly smart enough to see this. They're like upset with all the, all the cuts getting priced in and, and verbally hammering the market into submission. Cause they're like, look, if you're gonna price in the cuts, you're never going to get them because it's self-defeating. It's a feedback loop. You're going to, you'll just break your own thing. So stop. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, why can't the fed see this? You know, uh, I was reading these comments today, probably coming out of Davos or whatever. Cause I, hold on to answer that. I, I don't want to interrupt you cause I want you to keep going on this path, but I don't think the Fed sees it because they don't have to, right? Meaning these other central banks, they have to get it right because their currency is not the world reserve currency. They've got to be sensitive to the reality. The Fed is free to think a lot of ridiculous things. (laughs) No, because whatever they do gets anesthetized because they have the ability to conjure money out of thin air. Right, like no other body in the history of mankind has done. So when you can anesthetize everything with the push of a button, naturally you start believing in the own, your own deification, right? You start believing in, in the omniscience of your own being, and it, you know. And I just don't think that they need to. I, I I just don't think that they need to be as on top of it as these other central banks. I mean, they do in the long run. Like we're the ones that are going to pay the bill. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, yeah, I do. I, I definitely know what you mean. Like, whenever, whenever you can fix problems, whenever you have the the ultimate fixer, like you're just naturally going to worry about the problems a little less than people that don't have a magic button to fix their problems easily. Yeah, I mean, you're running. How many countries in the world have GDP larger than two and a half trillion a year? There's probably only what ten or twelve. I have no clue. I would have to look that up. Well, anyway. But I'm going to now. You're running deficits that are probably larger than the entire economy of all but you know 15 countries in the world. I, It's the, the idiocy of it. You know, like you and I obviously think this is a much longer term deal than a lot of these leather, you know, dollar fatalist type. The dollar is going to plunge and all that kind of stuff. At, at, at the same time, the idiocy and the certainty of the whole thing is really mind numbing. There, right? are, there are ten above two trillion. Only ten. See, I was giving them more credit. If here. you if you if it was too flat, you're going with there's ten. And if you want to go above two and a half, seven. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> that's a pretty good guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, man, I you know, it's, I've got to, I, I do swim in these waters on a regular basis. Uh yeah, I, I just. I, it's just amazing to watch them backing themselves into this corner, and you know, at the end of the day, like, look, and the market's backing themselves into because the market backed itself right into the same corner. I don't think the market cares. Well, I mean, I mean what, what are we worried about? Are we worried about are we worried about rates not going down and earnings going down this year? For I mean, for all, recent history tells us that's good for another twenty five percent gain on SPY. <laughs> yeah, but I I mean, the the thing is. The the ultimate way to get the 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 recession is is to do this is to mess around and have to keep rates higher. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, and, th- and this is what I was saying. I wrote down this note, right? And this is true in life, but I think it's obviously true right now in, in the in in the case of economics and the Fed. Like eventually, tough talk quits working. Eventually, you have to act, right? If all you do is threaten the spanking with the child, that'll work for a while. But you can only stop halfway up the stairs, right? And you right eventually, what is the kid going to think? I don't get spanked. Right. And I think that's kind of where the market is, meaning the Fed's going to talk tough. And then the reaction of the talk tough is going to be the extent of the pain. We just got to ride it through there. And then eventually the Fed, as soon as that pain gets hit, the Fed's going to start talking cuts again. And boom, we'll price the cuts right back in. And just like the ECB was talking about, it's as if it never happened. You 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 did it and then undid it all at the same time. Yeah. I, I can confirm. I remember my dad used to uh he had, the, he had the belt buckle, like you know, we're from Texas, so the big one. Oh yeah, and, and then it like hooks into to the belt. Oh yeah, so he would just he had this move he would do where he would very rapidly take that like rip that thing off. That was pull his belt out. That was not even pull it out, just just the belt buckle. That was like the first step. Yeah, that was usually good enough to get me a stop. Oh yeah, but then you know when you're a punk kid after the last ten times he didn't take it off and do anything with it, like you just get a little more bold. Yep. Uh, until you know the next time and it really comes out and it finds you but um that is just how it works and it touches you up i I still think we've talked about this a bunch but i I still think what they really need to do is is any sort of policy move that they don't that they don't completely let you know it's going to happen before like let let everyone have a 80 percent we're definitely going to cut at this meeting and say nah yeah, I, I I I agree. I don't think it's a lot, and and we were and 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 this is what frustrates me again about it. It would have taken even less a year ago when we were having the same conversation, and you just watch these guys continually back themselves into these corners. And what amazes you is you can see it coming from a million miles away, and they act as if every time they get caught, it's like, well, you know, economies are dynamic things, man. And you're like, dude, are are you kidding me? It's like watching a slow motion train wreck. It just the 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 insanity of the largest economy in the history of mankind being directed by these dolts. When you truly understand how foolish these people are, and by foolish I mean like the t- again. You, separating wisdom and intelligence, right? Separating foolishness and stupidity. I'm not saying they're stupid. They're clearly not. I think they are fools. I think they are complete fools that have a religious-like fervor and belief in, in these academic principles and have an inability to look at reality in front of their face and identify when those two things conflict. And when theory and reality conflict, you should probably roll with reality. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and the sad thing is, I th- I think I think Powell might be the most the least academic chair we've had well, clearly in my lifetime, but but maybe like maybe like half century or something. I don't know. Like he he like publicly talks down about the math and the models and everything. But here we are. Like we're still we're okay. still doing the policy by it. Like he he didn't like kind of like look out the window whenever inflation was clearly about to be a tidal wave. Well, I yeah, but okay, look at and vice versa. Like now, I've been screaming disinflation for eighteen months, and, yeah. and and now that we finally got it, the then Fed they start they start now, backpedaling. Now the Fed has decided, oh, this is disinflation, and now they're just going to extrapolate it. Like 
Like this was, I'm sorry, this was obvious 18 months ago, but you know what else is obvious? It's about to pick back up. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's un- It's unbelievable. It, it, it really is. And then it's unbelievable in a way that I, and I know where you're coming from. Neither of us are sitting there going, they're so stupid. We get it right. We're, we're saying it from a place of actual concern, meaning I would feel better if these simple prognostications that we make off the cuff, like we primarily you about watching markets going up and financial conditions easing and watching the economic numbers pop back, like just make it. And it ends up being dead right. And you sit there and you're looking at them going, guys, we're literally throwing a Nerf ball from a lazy boy here, right? Like this is not even complex. This is the fact that you do not understand how financialized this economy has become and the way that things are transmitting. Because the other thing you take, they have absolutely no idea about transmission either. Meaning they, they, they have no idea what is actually driving and moving mo- mo- money around markets. From, they, they can't. If the, because if they did, I think that the correlation between uh, the, the economy and the stock market, I mean, we, you and I have pulled it up. It's undeniable, yeah. especially in the last 15 years. They've just – they've lockstepped. And then you start looking at the makeup of the economy and it starts making some serious sense, you know, especially, and I don't know enough because there's so much of this behavioral, you know, knock on effect stuff kind of underlying the surface of all this stuff. But it it's interesting to me that this economy, both to the up or this market to the upside and the downside responds to liquidity above all else. And literally what have you done? to run the economy and the market for the last 15 years. You've literally trained it with liquidity. 100%. Right? It's just interesting to see all these things play out, like these philosophical, you know, and, and I don't think enough people pay enough attention to that with markets. And it's one of the things that have always fascinated me about markets is markets are not just a mathematical a mathematical equation, right? The injection of human nature into markets makes them kind of like this living, breathing thing. And just like living, breathing things, when, when you treat them with the same thing over and over again, or you don't pull out the belt enough times in a row, just like living, breathing things, they get too far out on the limb too. And at the end of the day, there's only one way to fix it, Right. You rope them in and pull them back off it or the limb breaks. Either way, they learn the lesson. But there is no I, – I think we're at one of those points economically where the painless answers, I think we're out of those. I think we're out of the painless answers. Yeah, because I mean it's becoming more and more clear that asset prices are – that's the lever. Yeah. And that's the, that's the one no one wants to mess with. Uh, but that's the pain and that's that's the lever – uh that's especially the especially you know i'll say this as long as you're running significant uh budget deficits call it i'll call it over four percent of gdp you, the lever has to be asset prices you don't there's no other there's no way around it yeah uh to me that's become clear of late and i don't think it's at all clear to them and the, the what what's frustrating too is we're talking about you know liquidity is how they've done this right the thing is, liquidity was supposed to, going back to the original QE, the original idea was for it to help the real economy, to help lending. You know, It didn't do any of that. All, all it really does is move financial assets, which, the, which the, has its role. The idea, and, if I, if I'm para- and I am paraphrasing here, but, but listening to several economists describe QE in depth, and Bernanke was one of them I heard talk about this, and I'm not sure if he used this analogy, but it's the one that comes to mind. It, 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 you comparing it to like siphoning gas 
you could also compare it to uh, uh, what was the other analogy I was going to use? Oh, you know, spraying something highly flammable into a carburetor, right? Is that you, like they were kind of trying to start Prime a, pump. a financial vacuum, right? And get it going. Yeah. Um, what they realized was that that wasn't at all what was occurring, right? It was creating a stimulative effect in asset prices, but yeah. not the underlying economy. And I think that you can make an argument that it was stimulating asset prices at the cost of the underlying economy, you know, rather than real investment taking 100%. place, right? You had stock buyback, it's at record highs. Yeah, jacked up inequality, like the whole nine yards. Financial engineering, all that nonsense, right? right. And the fact that these guys won't adjust and that they won't look. Uh, again, I hate being one of those kind of clanging gongs it's just beating on the Fed all the time. <laughs> but you just, I mean, seriously, you just watch it and you go, why won't you just, just guys, what you need, and we've said it over and over and over, just get us into recession for God's sakes. Then as soon as you get us into recession, you get a little scared, you get a little fear out there, get people sucking in their purse strings, then loosen up on rates. This isn't complicated, but you're not going to be able to, I just, the, the, the skew, they look again, they look at things like academics and it, we were having the same, again, I, I keep going back to this year ago conversation, but we covered all this, right? The skew in which they risk things where they grade risk, right? Where you look at them and go, if, if you're so all know, if you're, if you have such belief in the omniscience of your own powers, right? Your, your own omniscience, if you have such belief that you have such control then if you overcorrect to the hard side and things get a little too dicey, you've proven over and over you have a fix to that, right? You just cut rates, right? Ease it up, pump money, okay? Then you look over to the other side and you go, guys, the risk of this running out of control to the other side, that is a real risk. And that is one that you've proven you do not have nearly as effective tools of tackling. So, so why are you treating these still? Like I'm looking at it and going, when I'm looking at the risks of really nasty outcomes, they're unquestionably on the side of not acting hard enough. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the skew of negative outcomes on a philosophical basis. I don't even understand their approach to it. It, it, they're, they, by, by this kind of, you know, asset supporting approach that they always take, you know, talking tough out of one side of their mouth and then dovish out of the other side. Like I keep looking at him and I go, you guys, you keep leaving alive. You keep letting breathe the worst possible outcomes. Like you keep reanimating them. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of view, I kind of view recessions as like almost like wind, wind sailing a tree. Yeah. Trimming some dead wood, thinning it out, allowing wind to get through it without breaking it. Yeah. Because if you don't do that, what you end up, if you get enough wind, then you snap the thing. Yeah. And then you have a bunch of damage. And it's, it's just like they re no one wants to wind sail the tree anymore. You just want to let it, let it thicken up and this just roll the dice, you know? No, they're trying to stop the wind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which you can't do. Yeah. Well, they, well, they, they can, maybe you can for a little while. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, it's the whole idea of getting rid of risk or getting rid of volatility. You don't get rid of it. You just transform it and push it to some later date. Right. And meanwhile, and that's what I'm saying, like it, and that's the part of it. If you're not going to inject a behavioral and it's tough, I get it because it's anecdotal in nature, but if you're not going to inject a philosophical and a behavioral aspect into monetary policy, I, I just think you're doomed to get it wrong. 
Like it, it doesn't guarantee you're going to get it right by doing those things, but you are doomed to get it wrong miserably when you don't look at it. Exactly. From, from at least with that aspect into play. Yep. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me that of all the things, people, these incredibly emotional beings, right? What is one of the things that they are the most emotional with money, i.e. the economy, and you're going to distill all of that down to mathematical equations. Good luck. You're, you're like good luck. You can't model human behavior. Yeah, not even close. That's the, the physics envy of the economics profession that has been a, a problem for decades and one that should go away. Well, and they won't admit it, right? It's it, it, that's the toughest thing I've got with all these guys is they act like, well, you know, it's this that we're right on the cusp of breaking the code. You're like, you're never gonna break. You're an idiot. Right. If you can get if you can figure that out, then you've also simultaneously figured out how to stop idiots from doing dumb things. <laughs> it's just human nature. Yeah. Yep. You don't the human operating system hasn't changed much in a thousand years. It isn't going to change much in the next thousand years. So that's why we always get booms and busts and everything is because it, it's just our hardwired yep. animal spirits to do stupid stuff with money. So uh, what do we got coming up the rest of the week? Uh, tomorrow we have the Philly Fed housing starts and permits uh, and jobless claims. Uh, one, one, one thing I did want to note today was oil and gasoline kind of perking up, especially late in the day. Um, and I, I think those can and will break out to the upside. You're getting some crimping of at least product exports out of Russia. And you're also getting some sizable buying of oil from, from China. If you throw, if you throw 15 to 25 bucks on the price of WTI with that retail print, exactly. where's CPI running? Oh, I mean, you're back up into the high threes, at least if, if not back in, in into the four handle. So just like, again, I, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but just like we were talking about a year ago, they are bringing in the possibility of, again, using their playbook, having to actually end up hiking again. I don't, we, neither, yeah, they're not going to, they're not going to, neither of that, us think but, they're going to do that. But, but, but the six cuts or even the three they've projected is pretty difficult if inflation is taken back off. Yeah. How do you cut if you're running at 3.8 to 4.21 CPI? Yeah. There, there was a good article I read today where, where the author was talking about, you know, when we rip to 9%, like they, they were kind of like, look, like, a lot of this is nonsense is going to come out. Like we're, we're, we're going to adjust for that. Like we're not going to act like it's going to stay at nine, but now that it's low, they're not being like, all right, look, some of this is just because the oil got really cheap. We're going to look through that and pretend we're not going to pretend like it's going to stick here, but, but instead they just act, they just extrapolate it. They still act. They don't extrapolate to the upside, but they do to the downside and they, it's going to cost them. They still act as if deflation is the greatest economic threat. And I will never understand that line of thinking. I will never understand it. It creates really bad times, but not compared to the other side of the uh, of the it, equation. Well, I think when you have as much debt as we do, deflation is is a pretty epic risk. We've 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 had that miniature debate before, though. It is. I just don't. But but again, you've already established you've already established the 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 bulkhead right on the beach of sending people money. Okay, de deflation can be very nasty and very pernicious, especially when you have this much debt. But when you have the money printer, it's also really easy to stop. Oh, if, yeah, of course. You stop it like you stop it dead in its tracks. That's the tricky thing about inflation, right? You, everybody's like, oh, we'll inflate the debt away. Eh, you may be past that point, right? 
you, you, you start looking at sustained CPI that can last between, and I'm not projecting this, but you get sustained CPI lasting for five, six years at six to 8%. I mean, I think that GDP would, would come down a decent amount in that scenario. Foreclosures. I mean, yeah, but I mean, the defaults would be through the roof. Yeah. If the policy rate was up there. Yeah. But, I mean, the policy rate would have to be up there. Well, not necessarily. I think we we will. I think I don't know when this happens, but I think we will get to a point where you do have you know that kind of inflation, and they just kind of let it burn. And they just do yield curve control. So this brings, but but couldn't you make an argument that that's sort of what the rejiggering of CPI was doing over the last four times they rejiggered it with hedonic adjustments? I mean, you you can make an argument that that's sort of right. Like there, uh, to, a, to an extent, yes, there, there's two ways you, you can sit there and pretend like your policy rate is actually based on some form of reality. You could also sit there and assume that you know what the neutral inflation rate is, right? Like, so let's just go with their numbers. So if you're choosing to have a lower policy rate than you should, given on, let's say, like a 3.5% Fed funds rate and CPI running at 6 to 8, how is that any different than just understating what CPI is? Yeah. I mean, it, it just becomes a policy choice of you, – you got two choices. You can, you can tax people with give me a piece of your check or you can tax people with prices going up. It's just it's just the latter choice. Yeah, right, right. That's those are the ways out. Right. Yeah, I and historically, almost every time in history, the the, the it's the latter. Now, whether that's hiding it or showing it and just being like, yeah, well, who cares? Or or doing the yield curve control thing, like you get all the cattle into the pen, uh, you shut the door, and then you you know light the fire on in this case treasury holders. Yeah, like hey. If you have an IRA, you have to hold 30% treasuries. Oh, by the way, um, we're not paying you more than 3%, even though inflation's eight. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just a find, you have to find a way to transfer real wealth from households back to the government balance sheet after you did the opposite. Yeah. Because all, all, most of this private, private sector wealth explosion, especially over the last two, three years, it's just a big transfer from the private to the pub or to, from the public to the private balance sheet. You just got to, at some point, kind of flip it back. Yeah, I mean, you got to quit privatizing profits and pub- publicizing losses, right? Yeah, that's a good game we've been playing for quite a while. Anyway, all right, man. Well, I appreciate, boy, we ran over again on that one. Uh, thought there were some good philosophical discussions in there, though. Yep. All right, we won't hold you guys any longer. Be with us again tomorrow. We will uh, unwrap the economic news and financial and market news of the day and keep working down this path and keep traveling on this journey. Hope you'll take it with us. Thank you for listening. This is the, or excuse me, you've been listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.